0: Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. It's good to see everyone. My name is Ben. If we have not had the opportunity to meet or or talk in a while... um, Hello. I'm thankful that you're here, and uh, if we have never met, I would love to be able to meet you and be able to, uh, if nothing else, just get to hear a little bit about who you are and, um, and, and, how, and how you're here, how, how you ended up here. I, I love hearing the, those stories. We talked about our story earlier uh, in a song, and we are all about stories around here, so I'd love to hear your story. If you come find me, grab me by the shirt, and pull me off to the side, I'd love to hear your story and be able to meet you and talk with you. Thanks for being here. Whether you're here today or you're at home and you're tuning in and you're watching, and, uh, we've been thankful that COVID um, has changed life for many of us, but it has absolutely been the spark that has ignited a, a spirit of Of creativity and ingenuity, and trying to figure out how can we do what we need to do when we can't do what we've always done, and so uh, because of that, God has blessed and given us many opportunities to be able to meet with people throughout the week in the community that say, "Hey, we've been watching you guys online," and so we're thankful for that. So if you're you're tuning in and you're watching today, we want to say welcome to you. Whether you're watching this on your TV, your your iPhone, or a tablet. I am one of the pastors around here. Our lead pastor and his family are actually in Arkansas. Um, Our lead pastor, his mother, uh, actually passed um, last, so a week from Saturday, a week from a day ago. So a week and a day ago, she passed away. And um, because of that, um, uh, Pastor Ryan did something that... um, that I don't know that anyone looks forward to, especially someone in ministry, but uh, he he preached the funeral of his mother this last week. So um, if, you, if you know Pastor Ryan, um, he'd give you the shirt off his back. He loves this church. He loves every single person in this community. And um, so if you think about it, maybe offer up a prayer for him. Reach out to him if you've got his number. Send him a text. Let him know that he is loved and um, appreciated and that we're... Praying with him, and, and we're alongside him during this time. Uh, but that's that is why you uh, were not probably greeted as you walked in the auditorium. If you've been around here for quite some time, uh, Pastor Ryan's usually dead center in this room, and he's watching who's coming through that door, and he's going to greet you. And 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 whether you want to be greeted or not, he's going to greet you, and he's going to make you feel important, and he's going to make you feel like that you're the only person in the room, and uh, and he's going to be excited. And we missed that this morning. I, I've, I missed that element, and one of many elements that Pastor Ryan brings. And so um, because of that, you're stuck with me, or we're stuck together. Maybe it's a mutual thing. And uh, so this morning, I have the, uh, the privilege of being able to share from God's Word today. And um, can I just say this, though? Whether you're here today or you're watching uh, from home or wherever you're at, If you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you aren't even sure about if you are or not, I'd like to set you at ease. Uh, We exist, C1 Church exists to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And you are in a safe place to search, to learn, and to discover what that would actually mean to be a Christ follower. So I just want to set you at ease. You are in a safe place. This makes uh, Anytime Fitness Judgment Free Zone look look like prison. This is a judgment-free zone. You've got the space and the willingness uh, and and the opportunity to be able to do that, to search and to ask questions, and it's okay if you don't have it all figured out because we don't either. Over the last few weeks, we've been in a series called How To, and we've actually been walking through a book of the Bible called James. And we named the series How To because this short, practical book does an excellent job of explaining how to live out your faith as a Christian. And in a, in a nutshell, James, is with this book, is giving us a lens into what it could look like if you and I were to lean into all that God has for us and the way that we live out our lives. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts, don't do this and don't do that. It's a practical book with how-to steps to tap into all that God has in store for our lives as followers of Jesus. So if you're listening here or, or listening in today and you have not made a commitment to follow Jesus, I want to um, I want to set you at ease on a different level. I want to let you know that the passage that we're about to read and we're going to look into, it was written to a group of believers. It was written to a group of people who had placed their faith or their trust in in, in Jesus, in Jesus Christ as Lord. And um, so if you are outside of that relationship today, you don't get the opportunity to walk up and leave, uh, although you totally could. But um, I want to let you know that you're off the hook because what, w- what we're about to read was written to a bunch of Christians. And so the reason why I want you to pay close attention, whether, whether you're a, a, a Christ follower or not, especially if you're not a Christ follower. I want you to pay close attention over these next few moments because for two reasons. One, uh, I want you to be able to hold your Christian friends accountable. And uh, if you're here and you don't have any Christian friends, you do now. If you're outside a relationship with Jesus and you don't have any Christian friends, you do right now. And, if, and, and it's me. That's that's the friend that you have right now. And so I want you to hold me accountable to what we're about to talk about and what we're about to speak on. But the second reason that I want you to listen in closely is To get a better understanding of what a commitment, if you were to make it, the commitment that comes with being a follower of Jesus, if you were to make that decision, I want you to understand that commitment. I want you to have a better understanding. I want all the cards to be put on the table if you were to go, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want you to understand and have a better understanding of what that actually looks like before you were to make that decision so with that in mind you're off the hook but please don't tune out the passage that we're going to tackle today is um, honestly in this book of James it's actually one of the more difficult ones to unpack so Pastor Ryan if you're watching this video editing it thank you Thank you for giving me the, the, one of the harder ones to unpack. I, I've, I know that you planned it that way. Um, but anyways, um, we're going to do our, our best with it. It is actually not an easy passage to preach on. It is, it, it is not. And once, you open it, once we open it, you're going to go, oh, yeah, that's, that's what he's talking about. But, um, so whether or not you're ready, buckle up, buttercup. We're going to dig in. You ready? Ready? We're going to be in the book of James, chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. And James, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, and have a good day, stay warm, And eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Verse 18. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Verse 21. Don't you remember that our ancestor, Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. You see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. That's a lot. That's a lot that we just read there. Um, so, if you're listening to all of that and you're still kind of st- trying to soak up like a sponge everything that James just threw out, can you sense a little bit of that inner feeling of like, okay, so I'm going to pull out my notepad. And so, we got all this conversation about good deeds, good deeds, good deeds. So, I've got my pen and paper ready. Give me that list. What's that list look like? What's the list of good deeds that I can do to make sure that my faith is right with God? What, give me the list. Whatever that list is, I'm ready I'm ready to go. And I just want to let you know that there is no list. There's no list there. And this talk isn't going to be about working harder because that's not what James is talking about. Because there's nothing that you or I could ever do that would earn us right standing with God. I want to be, I want to be super clear on that. Because if there was anything that we could do that would put us in right standing with God, it would diminish the work that was done by Jesus on the cross. So there's nothing that you or I could ever do that would earn us right standing with God. And that's what separates Christianity from all of the world religions. We cannot work our way to God like many religions try. God has made his way to us through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. The work has been done. The cross of Christ does not need our help. It is more than enough. So I want you to understand that James is not trying to get us to work harder. What he's zeroing in on is the word faith. But we have two words that he used kind of interchangeably and often throughout this text that we just read, and those two words are faith and works, and so let's let's start by defining those words so that we can understand when we hear that word, because when you hear those words, you probably have, there's probably 20 different definitions, if not more, represented in this room alone when I just say those two words, but let's talk about what a biblical definition of those words would be. So before we move forward, let's define the word faith. And the word faith, when you hear the word faith, and we're talking and reading it in the context of this chapter, faith is trusting and obeying God. Or putting your trust in God and obeying God. That's what faith is. That's what faith looks like. When the word faith is mentioned, that's what it entails. Trusting and obeying God. Okay? So we'll set that to the side for a second. Now the, the word works works. We use that word works, the definition of that is a life of loving God and loving others. Let me say that again. When we talk about works, a life of loving God and loving others. And we discussed that a little bit in chapter one, called kind of the law of love loving God and loving others. And that's what's, what James has in mind when he's using the word works. Okay, now that we've defined these words, let's move through these three sections that we just read that James lays out. The first section in verse 14, James said, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? And he asks a very good question. Can that faith save anyone? It's a good question. And he goes on to say, suppose a brother or sister has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a great day, stay warm and eat well, but you don't give that person anything to eat or any clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Can that kind of faith save anyone? And James would say, Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. And so that's the first thing that I want to zero in on today. The first statement that I want us to really chew on a little bit is that faith without works is useless, dead, and unable to save. Let me say that again because that's that's coming from uh, God's Word, not from me. Faith without works is useless, dead, and unable to save. And James would argue that faith without works is not true faith at all. But but an empty, and maybe only an empty profession. And because it's only an empty profession, James concludes and says right here that that kind of faith is dead. It's not faith at all. But James doesn't stop there. He also says that, that faith without good works, he the word, is useless. And the example that James gives us here is, is reminiscent of the parable of the Good Samaritan that I believe we even just talked about last week, right? Where Pastor Ryan told a story about a Good Samaritan that, uh, in essence, that was the only one of three people who actually came in and and actually, did something to this guy that was beaten up and left for dead at the side of a road. And James gives us a very similar or a reminiscent example of that parable that we just read. And the, and the reason James says that this kind of faith is useless is because it's twofold. If you're a Christ follower and and you are in the room, there's a certain dimension of walking out our faith that looks like this, with our hands and our palms facing upward. And uh, there's a couple reasons behind that, and this doesn't have anything to do with the talk today, but one of the reasons is is because you can't grab, you know, you can't grab a hold of something when your hand is open and palms up. And when we live like this, nothing ever becomes mine. (laughs) It's... It's, well, it's here now. It's not even mine. But God's entrusted me with it, and so I'm going to do my best with it. And if he wants to take it, if someone else needs it, it's theirs. And it's like this, this, this posture of submission. And there's something to be said about this because a, a posture like this is, is very easy to receive something from the Lord. It's very easy to receive anything from anyone at the posture like this. When people would beg, they would they would probably do something like this because it's a receiving posture. And as a Christ follower, we we recognize that all that we have and all that we need is in Christ. And in a relationship with him, it looks a lot like this. And so one of the reasons that God will give us something is sometimes to bless us or to give us something that we need. But, But more than not, I found in my life when God deposits something and entrusts me with something, it's because I didn't just need it, but someone around me needed it as well. Whether it's a time of, or maybe it was a word of comfort, maybe it was uh, uh, encouragement, maybe it was something financial that you needed, and you found out, wow, that was more than I needed. I actually only needed this much, so, oh wow, I've got a friend that he's got a need, so I'm just going to I'm just going to pass it along. And God has designed the Christian walk to be, in essence, for us to be this conduit that he can flow through. And so when we don't have faith, there are no works where he can funnel himself through us to others. But God wants to be the supplier, and he wants us to be the conduit. And so when we're not the conduit, not only are we not... Serving our purpose, but the person we were to serve is missing out on a blessing from God that he 's allowed to maybe for a moment pass through our hands and so there 's two reasons or two ways that it, that that particular kind of not having no works is um, it 's just useless and and lastly, James. James asks a rhetorical question and he says, can that kind of faith save anyone? And the answer is emphatically, no. The faith that is dead or useless is not faith at all because faith in Christ is alive and active. And therefore, if it is dead and useless, then that faith cannot save there's something to be said about being a conduit or a river that God can use us to touch and reach others. Like we said, the idea of works is loving God and loving others. Loving God and loving others. We're to be a conduit. If you've ever been around a group of people, that, especially Christians, that look like they've been sucking on lemons for a living, it's probably because they are spiritually constipated. And it's because at one point or another, they've decided that what God has extended to me and what God has entrusted and given to me must just be for me. And that's not the way that it works. If we're not pouring out into the lives of others, either the love of God is not in us or, with, or we are withholding it and keeping it to ourselves. And James says that that is useless. And so James has some strong words for anyone professing to be a Christian, not just present here today, but to this letter that he was writing to anyone who professed to be a Christian. James had some strong words and he and, and the words were, if you profess to have faith in Christ, yet you do not love God or others. James would say, stop calling yourself a Christian because you're not one. Whoa, wait a second, James. I don't like what you just said. James, if you haven't noticed, James kind of pulls off the gloves and he just goes in for the hit. It's kind of brash, but at the end of the day, James makes something that's black and white, black and white. If we do not love God or others... Yet we, have, we profess to be a Christian. We profess to be a follower of Christ. James would say, please stop calling yourself a Christian because you are not one. Mm. Hope you wore your steel boots coming in today. Second movement that, Pat, that James uh, in his passage goes to is verses 18. And he said that some may argue that some have faith and others have deed, good deeds, but I say, How can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? Then he makes a statement, and this is important. I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. Good for you! Even demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish can you see? Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless the second thing or statement that i want to make is that is this is that genuine biblical faith and works are inseparable let me say that again the genuine faith a biblical genuine faith as we as we uh, defined earlier and works they are inseparable James plays out a scenario where someone advocates that faith and works can be separated. And as we laid those definitions out, that faith is trusting and obeying God, and works is a life that loves him and others. We know that it is impossible to trust and obey God without loving him and loving others. Let me say that again. It is impossible to trust and obey God without loving Him and loving others. Now, it's possible to know about God and not love Him or others. But it's not possible to separate faith and works, genuine faith and works. A life of loving God and loving others flows from trusting and obeying Him. Faith is the cause. Works are the effect. Faith without deeds is dead faith. That's what James said. And deeds without faith are dead deeds. Faith and works go hand in hand, and they cannot be separated. To illustrate kind of what I'm saying, I'm going to use the plane illustration, because I've heard the chair one used before, and so let's just move her from the chair to a plane. They have those in planes. So let's do a plane illustration. Let me say this, that it is possible to be an airplane expert and spend my life studying and analyzing and geeking out on planes. I had friends that did that back when we lived in Tehachapi. We were right next to... Uh, Edwards Air Force Base where the space shuttle comes in and out and they're testing out all these new jets and all, kind, all kinds of cool stuff and I never fully appreciated it because I never got to get into that kind of stuff but I would be with friends that would just geek out on stuff like that. But I cannot say that I have faith in a plane until I put my butt in that seat and trust that plane to get me from point A to point B. I don't care how many times you've been to an airport. I could care less how many planes you've seen in your lifetime. I don't want to know how many friends of yours have ridden in planes, how many pictures of planes cover your bedroom walls, or how many model planes you've built in that old creepy down dark basement in your house. You have not placed your faith in a plane until you have marched your happy little self into that airplane, clicked the seatbelt, and trusted that plane to keep you alive as it transports you. And to be honest, I think James would say that biblical faith in Christ is no different. So let's dive into the last portion of our passage where James uses some illustrations. If the plane wasn't enough... James comes in with two illustrations that seem to be all polar opposites, and I love that about him. Let's go into verse 21 again. James said, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? And the truth is, is that James was writing to a bunch of Jewish Christians, so of course they'd heard of Abraham. He was the father of their faith. And he says, You see, his faith and his actions worked together when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. And so I want to give a little bit of clarification because I hate when I hear people make a reference like, hey, you know the story of David and Goliath? Because I don't know how many times I've talked to someone who are like, nope, I've heard a reference. I've never heard the story. What was the story? So we're going to lean into that just a little bit. The story of Abraham is, is that God showed up to Abraham one day. And at the age of 75... God promised him that he would have a son. And not just a son, but he said, You know, look at the pebbles of sand on a beach or the stars up in the heaven as, as they are uncountable, so your descendants will be. And Abraham's like, Wow, like, that's awesome. He's like, I don't have any kids. So that's the context of what kind of leads up to this story that, we, that James alludes to. But listen to this. 25 years later, how many of you have waited 25 years for a promise from God? I have not. That's over two-thirds of my existence on this world. I have definitely not waited 25 years for a promise from God. But... Abraham, when he heard this word from God that he had spoke, he believed God would do exactly what he said he would do. And 25 years later, when he's 100, 100 years old, and his wife was 90, can you imagine, ladies, 90, she has her first child. 90. God made good on a promise. And so, obviously, as you can probably imagine, and maybe in the most calm way as possible, they had this rejoicing. That they didn't want to have a heart attack and die, because they just literally had this kid. So, uh, they just, it's amazing. Not far after that, as Isaac, this son of theirs that had been born, who was growing up, God one day comes to Abraham and says, You know what? Um, I want you to take your son Isaac to, to a mountain And I want you to offer him up to me as a burnt sacrifice. Excuse me? Wait a second. I thought you said that you want me to sacrifice the son that you said was going to be the one through all these descendants we're going to come through. I thought you just said that you wanted me to take him up to a mountain. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. I want you to take him up to a mountain. I want you to sacrifice him to me as a burnt offering. And the Bible says that Abraham woke up the next morning and saddled up his donkey, and he took the trip. And if you are here and you've never heard that story before, you have got to be thinking. Even if you've heard the story a hundred times, you have got to be thinking, "What? Are you kidding me? The dude just had a first, his first son at a hundred years at a hundred years old. She just had her her." At 90 years old, there's a promise that all these people are going to come from him. And now you want to take this promise and you want to kill him on the top of a mountain? And it's the same God that's asking you to do this that gave you that son? You got to be kidding me. You out of your mind? But Abraham did it. And he did it in the fact that he went up the mountain, tied and bound. The hands of his son and as he was reaching for his knife to follow through with what he felt god asking him an angel hollers out abraham abraham put down that knife don't you dare touch a hair on that boy's head and there's something that we could dive into there but you would say why in the world would god do something like this and this one's free it's, this isn't part of the talk but it's just i'm just thinking about it this one's free it's a sidebar I've heard so many people say, why in the world would would God do something like that? And obviously there was a trust factor that was involved here. But you've got to understand that the world that Abraham had come from and the world that he was living in, this is what people did to their gods, for their gods. This is what their gods required of them. And so God wanted to see if Abraham had the same level of trust that he he had placed in other gods probably prior, uh, the people around him. And so when they were sacrificing their child, God walks in and says, I want to see if you have that same level of commitment. And right when he was about to go through with it, God said, I don't work like those gods. I don't need you to kill your son on my account. And so... That's the story that James references. But that's what faith and works look like when they're paired together. The other example that James alludes to is almost the polar opposite. And rather than the father of the Jewish faith, is this story of Rahab the prostitute. Wouldn't you like a title like that to be attached to your name? Ben, the gossip. Ben, the liar. Ben, the adulterer. But I love that Rahab's in this text. And so to give some context to this story that James just kind of pokes in a little bit to. The people of Israel had been in the desert wandering aimlessly for 40 years. Enough for the generation who decided that they didn't want to walk into the promised land for them to die off. And so Moses is gone. God has placed a new leader, Joshua, over his people, and they are going in to begin to start taking their inheritance, to take the land that God had promised his people. And so they're sitting on the other side of the river, looking at Jericho. And that's kind of the, the, that's the, that's the buildup, that's the context to this story. And so, so the people are just outside this city called Jericho. And the, the leader, Joshua, decides to send in two spies. They tried to send in 12, Moses tried to send in 12 spies and that whole thing didn't go over so well. So he sends in two spies because there was only two that came back with a positive report. So Joshua goes, we're going to, we're just going to two this time. So two spies get sent into Jericho. And these men end up in the house of a prostitute named Rahab. I'm not going to say anything else. But word gets to the king of Jericho that there are spies in the city. And they happened to be at Rahab the prostitute's house, which probably everyone in that town knew where her house was. And he asks, the king asks Rahab to bring out the spies. But Rahab had hidden the spies on her roof. And Rahab, long story short, saves the lives of these spies. And in turn, she asks for the same favor to be shown to her family says nothing about herself but she and her family were saved not just that but if you read the the descendants or the lineage of jesus i believe it's in the opening of the gospel of matthew and you're reading through that that family line and if it's not matthew i apologize maybe it's luke but in the opening lines you're reading about You know, this guy begat that one, that one, the father of this, the son of this, father of this, son of that, son of this. All of a sudden, you look down and you're like, Rahab. Rahab the prostitute? Yeah, Rahab the prostitute. Family line of Jesus. So I don't care how messed up or botched up your family is. Jesus doesn't care because his family was too. But he redeemed that. And Rahab, can you imagine... Couldn't have, had, couldn't have had a whole lot of faith. She had heard about what God had been doing for his people as they were beginning to take the land that God had promised them. But she had faith. And she, to be honest, she hid spies and saved their lives. And because of that, James says, Rahab the prostitute was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. And James concludes that that's what faith looks like. In the last, or the th- that third thought that maybe we could drive home today is that that works make our faith complete. James had said back in verse 22, the second part of verse 22 that, that Abraham's actions made his faith complete and that Rahab was shown to be right with God by her actions. Her actions made faith complete so works make our faith complete. That faith brings a person to salvation and works bring that person to faithfulness. When we love God and and love others, it proves to the world that we have the faith that we profess is genuine. And it also matures or completes our faith. That's what what James is, is kind of getting at here. and So that's what faith looks like. That is what faith produces. That faith and works go together. And Rahab's actions made her faith complete. To recap what we walked through, faith without works is really not faith at all. Therefore, it's dead, useless, and unable to save. Because if it was faith, it could. But that's not real faith. It's bogus faith. The second thing we talked about was genuine biblical faith and works. They're inseparable They go hand in hand. And that works flow from faith. Not the other way around. A love for God and a love for others flow naturally from trusting and obeying God. And then lastly, we we mentioned that works prove to the world that our faith is real. And they allow us the opportunity to be faithful with the faith we have, making our faith complete. So as we conclude, initially we, we alluded to this tone of James in if you were to kind of encompass this whole book, that there's this theme or this 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 tone of I want you to experience all that God has for you. But this talk or sermon today has really turned into like questioning whether my faith is actually real kind of a talk or sermon. And I think that's exactly what James is getting at. Not to question the work that Jesus has done on the cross because it is something you can go to the bank on. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't, no other thing needs to happen. The work has been done. But I do think that there's something to be said about looking inward and deciding. A growing relationship with Jesus Christ isn't a one-time prayer or just something that you can profess. I want you to hear me on this. It is a process. It will cost you something. You will have to learn to trust and obey. Being a follower of Jesus isn't anything like being a member of a country club. It's a lifestyle, not something that you attend once a week. It's not something you do. It's not something you go to attend. It's something you become. It's not a compartment or a peripheral thing. It's the very center of who we are, and all that we do flows from it. And at the end of the day, there's a world that is watching, and if we profess to be a follower of Jesus, there must be evidence of a love for him and a love for others. And if there is not, then I think that I think that this would be a perfect time to take some inventory and to ask some soul-searching type questions. And so, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, one, it has been a very long time since I think we've done communion corporately, and I want to just let you know that we're not all going to be drinking out of the same bowl up here. So please don't get crazy on me and think we're going to start our own Kool-Aid drinking session. We've got these beautiful um, portable cracker on the top, little foil seal, sealed-in thing, and in on top of this juice, and it's all one package deal. And so. We have not done communion corporately since this all began. We've given it to you and said, "Hey, go home and as a family, uh, have have a moment." Um, but today, I think that actually today would be a perfect time for us to have communion together. Um, so couple of things one I was thinking because we have quite a few people in this room and I want to be able to as best we can kind of try to give a little bit of social distancing to make sure that that people still feel safe when they're here because we want people to feel safe Um, what I'd like to do is we're going to go into a time of of communion and I'm I'm, going to walk us through that time but this is going to be our form of response today um. So, could we? And can we do that? Um, and I want to say this before you're given the opportunity to to come up and, and and grab. And we're going to do it in stages as well, so that we can continue to have a, a safe distance here. Um. So here at C1, we practice open communion. Open communion being that you don't necessarily need to be a member of C1 Church to be able to partake in communion, but you do need to be a follower of Jesus. You do need to have placed your faith, like we talked about today, your trust and your obedience in God. And if that's you today, we want, we would actually we'd welcome you to please have communion with us. And if you're here today and you're... Um, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I, I would just say that let's let's let this opportunity pass um, or if you're at a moment and you're like you know what I, I heard everything that you got to say here and I've been kicking the tires on this this relationship with Jesus thing and today I think I'd like to make that decision. Um, if that's you I would love to pray with you. I would love to introduce you and lead you into that growing relationship with Jesus and it could start today. And if that is you, I'm going to be right up here at the front, and I would love to be able to lead you into that, and kind of talk with you and, and, and walk with you a little bit here in this moment. So, um, with those things in mind, what I was going to say is we have kind of the we have these cups and crackers kind of across this ledge, and so would with the perimeter of the room on this side, would you guys make your way, if you would like to partake in communion, would you make your way to grab a, and if you don't want to, both of you come up, one of you can come grab for both, but would would you come up and grab uh, stuff for communion or send someone who could for you? And over here as well, could everyone sitting on the perimeter of this, in other words, your back is up against the wall, if you could come up here and, and, and grab from this side. Interior group I'm, I've forgotten you You guys are next I just want to do this In a way that still honors uh, People's comfort zones And their their um, <laughs> That space bubble That follows us Everywhere we go I want to honor that. So I'll say this for, for this interior row, since we have kind of more people than not, if we could start maybe with the front and you guys go first and then make your way uh, from the front to back once these guys have had a chance to see then maybe the next row and that. Can we do that? This, this side right here, over here and this side right here, over here if you'd like. take. First of all, if you're new to church, or maybe you grew up in church, but you haven't been in a church in the last 20 years, um, this is one of the sacraments of the church. This is one of the things that Jesus said, "As, as often as you do, in other words, do this often. Remember what I did for you. so uh, that's why we do communion and communion is there's nothing uh, spirit there's nothing like saving about drinking some juice it's not like you know if you get in a bad car accident after this that you're going to be good um, you won't die after you've had communion it's not, nothing like that it's not, nothing nothing spiritually necessarily takes place when you drink this juice or you eat this cracker the work like I said has been done already by Jesus on the cross um, so but what it is, is it's a moment for us to remember what he's done for you and for me. And he said, he didn't tell us how often, but he said, do it often. So we're going to do it. And it's cool because we haven't done this since like COVID. hit. Um, thanks, COVID. Um, but I want to speak to kind of the, where this ties into um, our talk today. That I don't for one moment want anyone Questioning whether or not that, you know, that are your sins really forgiven or anything like that. But I think what James would, would, was getting at and what he would speak to if he were here, he? and in essence he kind of was, his words through the Holy Spirit spoke to us today. And that if we look at our lives and we look at the way that we're given opportunity to love God and to love others, is there evidence of that? Is there evidence of that? And maybe even a better question might even need to be is like Do you even love do you love God? <laughs> even an ounce? Do you love other people? I mean, even even if it's an ounce, like Jesus said all you need is a faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. It's not a whole lot. He doesn't need a lot. But he needs some. Needs faith so, if, this can be a, a moment when we are reminded of why faith in God can even mean being in relationship to Him and, and looking forward to spending an eternity with Him. It's because of what this represents. It's because of what Jesus has done. And so today's talk wasn't about working harder or get more deeds and more works in your day-to-day. It's loving or trusting and obeying God more than you do right now. Take it to the next level. What dimension, what compartment, what facet or category of your life do you struggle the most in trusting It's the category maybe you need to give to him today I'll be honest with you one of the things that I struggle with the most is the health of my children for three years I had a hard time because my son from fall through winter would have continual bronchitis and he'd have these asthma flare-ups where he couldn't breathe and he couldn't go to sleep at night because he was coughing so hard and for three years I loathed fall in winter and I felt like that God didn't care anything about me because he allowed me to go through that crappy time and I was an area of my heart that I'll be honest with you I still struggle to trust him with. So I don't know where you're at today but if faith means trusting and obeying God can we we in just a few moments here pray a prayer that, that in essence gets at God, what part of my life do I need to grow in my trust and obedience to you in your own way? Please ask that question. when trust and obedience is in place is what will flow naturally from. You won't have to work at loving God and loving other people when you have connected yourself to Jesus our source. It will ooze and flow out of you and you won't be able to stop it. This isn't a work harder or love people better talk. It's a trust and obey God more talk. There's a course, we sang growing up and it was trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. There's so much truth wrapped up into that song. Trusting and obeying the Lord and works flow naturally. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the moment that we have here to remember what you have done for us a sinless, perfect life and you offered your life up freely, no one took it from you. You gave it as the once and for all payment for every sin that would ever occur. And that that wasn't the end of the story. But that your father so thank you for your words that man from James they are like a bullet piercing our heart not there is no ounce of sugar coating in this book he cuts to the chase and we thank you for that thank you for not diluting it and giving it to us in the full full dose the full form but I pray that regardless of whether we have a relationship with you or we don't have a relationship with you, I pray that we walk out with a curiosity and a hunger to trust you and obey you more than we ever have. And that when we get our trust and obedience placed in you fully, that all the other stuff, loving you and loving others, is just going to happen. It will flow naturally. So may we, may we trust and obey you. I'm going to be reading from a passage in the Bible's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is Paul writing these words. It says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said if you're like me you have a really hard time getting into these this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And if you can get into your cracker, you may partake. supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What was done, and we cannot help but be reminded that you can be trusted. If there's no where else we can place our trust, it is in you and in you. begin to trust you like they've never trusted before, that they would begin to obey you like they've never obeyed before. And because of that, Columbia and wherever we go will forever be changed by the love that we have for you and the love that flows out of our faith in you to others. Thank you for loving us. We love you back. We trust you. We honor you today. It's in your name we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for being here today. If you've not made a commitment to follow the Lord once again, and you would like to talk about that, pray with someone, I'm going to be up here. I'd be more than happy to do so. Hope you guys have an incredible week and uh, we'll see you soon.